if you would be seated and just bow your heads with me just real short. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this wonderful time to worship you. God, if you, if you would, just be here with us. Your Holy Spirit, be with every person in this room. God, we pray that you would enlighten us with this uh, kid's story and with this sermon. God, that your, your hand would be upon our mind and help us to understand the words that you are speaking to us through Brad and through Katie. Here I pray. Amen. All right. Good morning, kids. I'm going to read the kid's story for us. All right, this morning it's Daniel and the scary sleepover. Things were not looking good for God's people. They had been captured and taken far from home, and now they were slaves of the king of Babylon. But God had not left his people. He was with them, and he was looking after them. Daniel loved God and obeyed him. Now, God made Daniel able to understand lots of different things, so it wasn't long before the king of Babylon noticed him. King Darius liked how clever Daniel was, so he made Daniel his most important helper of all and put him in charge of lots of other helpers. But the other helpers didn't like this. They wanted the king to like them best. They wanted to get rid of Daniel, so they spied on him. They tried to find things wrong with Daniel, things they could tell the king, but there weren't any, none. They couldn't find anything at all, except there was just one thing. Every day, three times a day, without fail, no matter what, Daniel went to his room, closed the door, and he prayed. They smiled to themselves. Let's get the king to make a law. No one is allowed to pray to anyone except the king. Daniel won't obey this law, and he will be punished. They were pleased with themselves for being so clever and hurried off to tell the king. The king liked their idea. He didn't know they were tricking him, so he made it into a law. Everyone must pray only to me. If you don't, the lions will have you for dinner. Daniel heard this. He knew it was wrong to pray to anyone except God. He had to do what God said, whatever it cost him, even if it meant he would die. So Daniel went to his room, closed the door, and he prayed. That's just what the bad men knew Daniel would do. They skipped straight off to tell the king, Oh, your most glittering highness, your law says, does it not, that everyone must pray to you alone, sire. Yes, said the king. Oh, oh, majestarial brightness. (laughs) Then correct us if we're wrong, but it would seem that Daniel is praying to God, not to you. The king was sad. He had been tricked. He didn't want to hurt Daniel, but he couldn't change his law. And so he let the soldiers throw Daniel to the lions. May your God, who you love so much, rescue you, the king said. The king went back to his palace, but he didn't sleep that night. Not a wink. He tossed and turned until finally straight to the den. Daniel, he cried, has your God rescued you? Yes, Daniel shouted. God sent an angel to close the lion's mouths. And there, resting his head on Daniel's lap, was the biggest lion purring like a little kitten. 
the king brought Daniel out of the den. Look, he said, Daniel doesn't even have a scratch. The king made a new law. Daniel's God is the true God, the God who rescues. Pray to him instead. God would keep on rescuing his people. And the time was coming when God would send another brave hero like Daniel, who would love God and do what God said, whatever it cost him, even off the greatest rescue the world has ever known. Let's pray. God, thank you that you're our rescuer. Thank you that you take care of your people. Lord, I pray that we would obey you at all costs. Um, Be with us this morning, Lord, as we hear from your word. I pray that it would change us, that we would recognize our need for you, Lord. Um, We love you, and we thank you for this day. In Jesus' name. Good to be with you guys. Grab your Bible. Turn with me to 2nd... Let's see, let's turn all the way to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. We're in a series that is non-typical for the sermon series that we preach. If you're a guest who's here today, my name's Brad, I'm one of the elders. We're so thankful that you're here today and worshiping with us. We typically preach through books of the Bible. And so we'll start in chapter 1 verse 1 and we'll preach all the way through that book of the Bible. And we have found that preaching through God's Word in that way, we don't skip over the hard truths, but that we preach all of God's Word because we have found over time that preaching hard truths produces tender hearts. But we're almost 10 years in as a church, 10 years since our family came back here with, uh, there were five of us at the time and just started a small Bible study in our living room. And we feel like it's time to look at some of the passages of Scripture that we've studied over the last few years. And as we've seen what it looks like to walk in the truth of Jesus, now we're examining what does it look like to walk in the way of Jesus. Not just to know the truths of Jesus, but actually to live them out. And so last week, um, I'm just curious to hear from you, last week... I ask you to spend some time taking one big need in your life before God. And taking that one big need before God, just taking some time in silence and solitude in order to hear from Him. And I'm just kind of curious, did anybody hear from God this last week? We've been sharing stories all throughout the week. And so, anybody have a story that they would like to share of how you have heard from God this last week as you have sought Him. Anybody? You got something, Mac? Okay, you're sticking your hand up, so. All right, so what would it look like this week For us to, again, just whatever your greatest need is in your life, to take it to God every day and just see what God speaks to you regarding that. Today, um, I want us, as we look, it's oftentimes been said that when people pray to God, or when people talk to God, we call it prayer, but when they hear God talked to them, we call it schizophrenia. And some of us kind of laugh at that. It's, it's, 
kind of a funny joke. Um, maybe not funny if there's someone who's schizophrenic in your family um, or someone that you know closely. But as we think about that, we kind, of, we kind of chuckle at it. And I think for most of us, we go, well, yeah, w- w- there's something within us that kind of resonates with that. Like, yeah, talking to God is one thing, but hearing from God, like, the heard God say, for a lot of us, there's a little bit of a question mark that comes up kind of in our hearts. Like, did you really hear God? And I don't mean in an audible voice kind of way, but I mean just that still small voice of God where you, you, you hear God's leadership and you sense that He is directing you in order to be obedient to Him. Over this next month, I want to take some time to talk about Life in the Spirit. And I know that for a lot of us, when I say these two words, it brings up a lot of different feelings. Holy Spirit. Like when I say we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit, instantly for a lot of people, they may think to themselves, "Uh uh-oh, here they go. They're going going down down the deep end. Like, here come the charismatics. Anybody ever had that experience before? Like, here in Memphis, years ago, when I was in seminary, I met a a young man who was selling newspapers. And um, I would just buy a newspaper from him uh, every Sunday morning. He was standing in the median over in East Memphis. And eventually, I got to know him. We spent time together. I shared the gospel with him. And he prayed to come to know Jesus. And then he invited me to his church. And I went, and his church, on the front of the bulletin, it said that the vision of this church is to be a million-dollar church with a million-dollar budget. I just remember looking at the bulletin and going, they really wrote that. Okay. And, I mean, and it was as interesting as you would think. Like, there were people who were being slain in the Spirit. You know what I'm talking about? Like, they're, they're falling out, looking like they're fainting. And then there were people who would bring little blankets around and like cover them up. Anybody, anybody ever been to a church like this before? Yeah, some of y'all know what I'm talking about. Like this is, if you, if you grew up maybe in a Kojic church or, or in a church that was a Pentecostal church, th- this is not foreign to you. You're like, every Sunday, man, for three hours. If it was short, you know. If, if, if somebody really caught the Holy Ghost, maybe five, five hours, Right? And so, we've had all these different experiences. Which, by the way, if we did that blanket thing here, all the kids would be faking like they caught the Holy, Holy Ghost so they could just be taking a nap on the floor. So, um, I was thinking about this last week, laughing about it. There's all these different experiences that we've had when it comes to the Holy Spirit. Maybe you've been a part of a church where a pastor said, God told me, therefore. And you're like, well, God didn't tell me. Like, why are you telling me God told you to, for me to give $25,000? Like... Couldn't God just tell me that? And so there's all these questions that some of us have. But then I think there's a whole other line of thinking that is equally as damaging. Which is like, we don't do all that. And that could be that you're in a Reformed Baptist church or a PCA church. Or we could just go on down the line as to why we don't do all that. Because we know that the Holy Spirit has come 
in order to, bring, to convict us of sin and righteousness and judgment. We know what the Spirit does. The Spirit brings us power. And like we can talk about the Spirit in all these intellectual ways. But then when I say, what did the Spirit say to you last week? Again, it's like I ask you for the nuclear launch codes. I don't even think I have access to that. The Bible actually says we do. And the Bible says that God's deepest desire is to be with us. His most frequent promise throughout the Scriptures, far more frequent than I will save you from hell, I will be with you. How does He pull that off? Through the Holy Spirit. So today, I want us to look at a section of Scripture, and it's 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and in it, Paul, there's just one little line that I want us to look at. It's at the end of verse 6, but we're gonna, I'm going to teach all the way through this section, verses 1 through 6, so that we're looking at it in context. I think God's great desire for us is that we would come to know what it looks like to walk in a daily conversational relationship with God. And Paul shows us the key to that. Look with me in verse 1. Paul says, are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or, or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? It was really common in these days, as Paul writes to the Corinthian church, it was really common for philosophers or teachers to carry letters of recommendation with them. And this was just a common practice. And Paul is, is saying in an almost ironic sort of way, he's really asking this question rhetorically, are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Uh, and he was commending himself. He had no problem doing that if he was commending the work of the gospel. And he was commending God's work to the Corinthians. If you remember back in uh, 1 Corinthians, he had said in chapter 2, I, I love this. I, I, feel like, I feel like this is what, I feel like if there, if there is a gospel letter that Memphis needs to hear, it's like, it's Corinth. Like, we're Corinth, because Corinth seemed to be blue-collar in a lot of ways. And Paul just, look at what he said in chapter 2. He said, when I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And he goes on and he says, I just preached Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I was weak, I was unimpressive. But if there was anything that happened there, it was because of the power of God. Now the Corinthians have become, they're, they're being led astray by other teachers and false teachers. And Paul is saying, do I need to bring letters of recommendation? And he's saying, here's what's ironic about this. He's saying, if y'all haven't forgotten, I was the one who brought y'all the gospel. Like, I started this church, and now you're saying I need letters of recommendation that you, don't, that you no longer trust me? And so in it, look at verse 2. He said, you yourselves are our letter of recommendation written on our hearts to be known and read by all. Amazing statement. You yourselves are our letter of recommendation written on our hearts to be known and read by all. I wonder how often as we think of churches today, we think of 
you know, what the building looks like. Or we think of, um, oh, that church has an incredible playground for kids. Or uh, that church has this incredible music ministry. Or they have this pastor. Or they have this worship leader who's a recording artist. Or they... Paul says, you yourselves are our letter of recommendation written on our hearts. It's almost like he's saying, you see these beautiful stained glass windows? They're not that impressive. You think these Tiffany stained glass windows from 1923 are impressive? Let me tell you about the real stained glass windows of this church. And he would start naming stories. Like, let me tell you about the Stewart family who've doubled their family in order to care for others who are in need of a family. Let me tell you about another couple, Josh and Camille, who just moved here this last weekend from Mesa, Arizona, because they feel God calling them back to the South in order to be on mission. They're here this morning. Let me tell you, and there's just story, let me tell you about Todd and Tammy, who just recently moved back to North Binghampton to be closer to this community. To move to an impoverished neighborhood so that they could be in community with us and share the gospel in that community. Paul is saying that the stories of the gospel are written through our lives. He never once mentions a building. He never once mentions programs. I am under the strong conviction that the church is only a reflection or an extension of what is taking place in our homes. Nothing more and nothing less. Let me say that again. The church is a reflection or an extension of what is taking place in our homes, in our families, in our lives. Nothing more and nothing less. And so here's the danger in America. You show up to a big building that people call a church, your family can be entertained by great theologically and biblically accurate sermons and beautifully performed music. Your kids can have fun, they can be entertained, they can make neat little crafts, and they can hear Bible stories about Jesus and making uh, all these cute crafts and having fun, and all this gets wrapped up in the family tradition of church in the South. Y'all feel me? Anybody or is this just me? It's like, a, it's like a sappy country music song. Like, it's just church on Sunday and fried chicken with grandma and we all go and hunting afterwards or something. I mean, it church in the South, you laugh about it because it is laughable. It is like, we're going to give Jesus three hours. He gave his life, but we're going to give him three hours a week. That is about how we live our lives. But the church is a gathering, not of fried chicken. The church is a gathering of people on mission for Jesus. And the mission of the church is going forth as the Holy Spirit is at work in our lives. Nothing more and nothing less. If you have complaints about the church that you're a part of, if you say, man, they don't baptize enough people. They don't go on enough international mission trips. Um, I don't like the community. I can't seem to find friends. Uh, discipleship, discipleship is lacking. Look at your own life. Help us in those things. 
Like if we want to go on mission trips, help us connect with missionaries where we need to take the gospel. If you don't think we're a friendly church, then be friendly. The church is nothing more and nothing less than what is expressed from our hearts and from our lives. It's not about a building. It's not about walls. And if that's true, then the success of the church, and this is what you desperately need to know, the success of the church, if it's true success, gospel success, the kind of success that you see in the Bible, it actually has very little to do with me or with Michael. Michael who's leading music or the band. The success of the church will be dictated by the level of intimacy that you have with God. Your intimacy will determine the church's effectiveness. Because as you remain in Jesus, read John 14, 15, and 16, as you remain in Him, you will be fruitful. You show me a church that is attractive to people. If they are not in Jesus, if they are not remaining in Him, if they're not walking by the Spirit and hearing His voice, if they don't understand that Jesus has called them to the most incredible career that they could ever have, which is to know Him and make disciples of all nations. You show me a church that's attractive, but doesn't know that, and they're not successful. I was talking to Todd this last week. He he said, man, I can remember when I was doing um, rap ministry and he was traveling all across the country. And he said, man, I remember walking in this one building, like 500 youth. He said, I was giving away CDs. I was like, hey, you got to earn it. He was like, who knows a scripture? Who can say a scripture? You get a CD. He's like, there's like 500 kids in the room. Silence. He's like, okay. He's like, this is awkward. He's like, books of the Bible. Who can say the first five books of the Bible? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, number Gen- Silence. Who can say the first five books of the New Testament? Nothing. He said the youth workers kind of looked at him like, man, you're making this awkward. Just just keep going. His point was, what are we doing? We're entertaining people, but they don't know Jesus. And that's the danger of the church in the South. We've made it a tradition. Intimacy with Jesus will determine the church's effectiveness. And so... If we have all these great programs and great music and pay professionals to put on a show every week, you will mistakenly think that you're following in the way of Jesus because you're part of something with big numbers that's fun and exciting and comfortable and demands very little of you. I think the most effective churches are typically small churches. Because if you go to a small... I don't have anything against megachurches. But if you go to a small church, you will be needed. Because there's a lot of stuff to do. And it's like, hey, we heard that you knew how to lay carpet. And we need some help with our carpet. So you, could you come? Hey, we need you to help in the nursery. Hey, we heard that you could play the guitar. Could you come in? All of us, like everybody gets busy in a small church. And oftentimes... We look for places and we look for religious institutions that offer us goods like a shopping mall where nothing is demanded of us. And we're happy to show up a couple of times a week and then go out to lunch afterwards, make it a tradition. I mean, we're happy to give a little money. That's the easiest thing for Americans to give. But what does it look like to give your life? 
Because the gospel calls us to give all of our lives. And that means if God takes your house away, or if He takes your family away, that means if you live the life of Job and everything is gone, would you be content with God? That is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Nothing more and nothing less. That He is the center of your life. And if you lost your spouse and you lost your children and you lost your house and your job and everything that was dearest to you that you would still look and that you would say what Jamie quoted a few weeks ago. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. The American church would be devastated if you walked through and you found the number of Christians that were willing to say that if those things happened in their life. Because of the way in which we live our lives. The way in which we've described this whole thing of following Jesus. So, does all of this that I'm talking about, I'm going to get off the soapbox keep moving through the passage, but does this make the traditions and big churches wrong? Absolutely not. But don't mistake numbers for lasting fruit. Paul is saying that the lasting fruit of our lives will always be people. If you ever try to associate fruit with something other than people, you're not going to find it biblically. People who God has changed through the gospel, the gospel that God has entrusted to us, and that He has appointed us to go out and to produce much fruit. Do you realize that if you're a follower of Jesus, it should be as natural for you to make a disciple as it is natural for a man and a woman to make a child? It should be just as natural. That is the, that is the call that God has given us. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Do you think that God's first call... To followers of Je- Do you think that God's first call to Adam and Eve is somehow separated from His call to the church to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth? Being fruitful and multiplying and fill the earth is even greater in terms of discipleship because it's eternal. It's people who are going to spend eternity with God. I'll leave you with that to think about. The problem for the American church is that the American church seems to be on birth control. Very little moms and dads who even have it on their vision to reproduce for Jesus. And so I want to ask you, like, who in your life are you investing in right now who doesn't yet know Jesus? Because I'm guessing if you're a married couple, it's pretty natural to think about reproducing. I'm not going to go into the details of that because there's little ears in the room. I think you know Think you can look around and see we've got that part figured out. But why is it as being followers of Jesus, when eternity is on the line and life with God, is there anything more important in your life than your relationship with God? Is there anything that you would say, you know what, man, this car, this house, whatever, I'm going to choose to hold on to it because it's more important than my relationship with God. If there's not, then why in the world would you not be telling other people about Him? Who are you investing in right now who doesn't yet know Jesus? Is there any more important work that you could be doing than to share the love of Jesus with someone? 
Paul describes this message as something that is so dear, so intimate, so life-changing. Look what he says in verse 3. And you show that you're a letter from Christ, delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Understand what Paul is saying here. Paul is pointing to changed lives as proof of letters of recommendation for the legitimacy of his ministry. And the proof of his ministry has much greater evidence than letters of ink, but the message of the gospel, he says, has been written on people's hearts. Now look at how he ends. Verse 4, Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God, not that we're sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, Paul's saying, I'm not a great evangelist. I'm not a great preacher. I'm not a great church planter. I'm not a great apostle. He's saying, no, it doesn't come from me. Our sufficiency is from God who has made us competent to be ministers of a new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. The Spirit is the one who gives us life, who motivates us, who gives us power. Paul is saying that his confidence in his ministry is found in the gospel which changes hearts and lives, and it's the Spirit who empowers him. He describes all of this as a new covenant. So in the old covenant, God promised Israel to protect them and to bless them if they kept his laws, if they were faithful to worship him. But over and over again, they were unfaithful. And in the new covenant, God has given us life through Jesus. And he's put the Spirit in us. And the Holy Spirit is in us in order that we would experience life, eternal life, beginning the moment we come to know Jesus. And so in this passage, Paul is saying... Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Is Paul trying to draw out a theological treatise here between the Old Testament law and life in the Spirit and comparing the two? No, not at all. The Old Testament law was never meant in order to bring life. The Old Testament law was always meant to convict Romans 3.20 shows us the foolishness of seeing the law in order to try to come to know God through the law. Romans 3.20 says, For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. So in the Old Testament, the law was given that we would come to understand our need for a rescuer, our need for a Savior, that we would see all the ways in which Israel failed. In which they needed a Savior. The law was meant to point Israel to their need for God. And and here's where I want us to land today. As we just kind of an introductory in thinking about what it looks like to have a daily conversation with Jesus. Life in the Spirit. I think that too many Christians are trying to live their lives by the law. And it... I judge that because of all the things that I said about the church earlier. Where we've made it a few hours a week. Where we've made it just 
a segment of our life or we've siloed our lives where we have our church friends and our work friends and our hobby friends, but the three never meet. You guys know what I'm talking about. And there's something about life in the Spirit where we hear that and we're like, we think of all the things that we need to do. Because we're still living as followers of Jesus who are under the law. If you aren't living in a daily conversational relationship with Jesus through the Holy Spirit who lives in you, then I can guarantee you that you're trying to follow Jesus on your own, under the law, which always is going to result in sin and failure. Because you can't do it. The whole message of the Old Testament, the whole message of the law was to convince you that you can't do it. And if you think you can follow Jesus apart from the Holy Spirit, like you haven't really read the red letters in your Bible. Because Jesus would say all kinds of crazy stuff that took the law, which was already impossible, and just like ratcheted it up. Like, oh, we're, everybody in this room is a murderer. Everyone in this room is a murderer, according to Jesus. Because you have been angry with your brother. Everybody in this room has cheated on their wife or their husband. Everyone in this room has cheated on their wife or their husband, according to Jesus. Because you have looked on someone else lustfully. Whether that was physically or emotionally. Isn't that crazy? Like, Jesus would ratchet up the law. The law was never meant to save us. It's impossible. We can only live out the life that Jesus has called us to through the Holy Spirit. And I'm convinced that we will not learn how to be with Jesus until we become absolutely convinced that a daily conversational relationship with God is the only way to truly live. Like convinced of it. Meaning that you can experience Jesus as healer and comforter and enabler and as your power. And it actually causes us not to have to, but to want to in our Christian life. We learn that when we trust ourselves, we always go astray. But when we listen to the Spirit and learn to obey, we will find life. Now, I'll just, I'll just wrap it up with this. I've been experiencing this all this last year. Man, this last year has been hard to be a pastor. It's been hard to be a lot of things. It's, it's been a difficult year. But man, I get together with pastor friends, and I've got some solid friends in this city. And we fast together once a week, and we get together once a month and break our fast, and we eat and drink and fellowship and cry and talk with one another. And the majority of our times are, are just, man, it, it's rough. It's rough out here. I mean, that's somebody will open up and then everybody else, man, praise God. Yep, uh huh, I feel you, brother. And like, we are just, it's been a rough year. For us, I'm the only full time uh, pastor on staff that's a vocational pastor. And our associate pastor who was full time left this time last year. And so for the last year, I've been flying solo. And I'm so thankful for Michael, who stepped in as our interim music director. So thankful for Samantha who, oh man, just thought way ahead on protocols and stuff that like COVID would throw you a new ball about every two or three weeks and it'd be like, okay, that's going to be 10 hours of my time this week that mm, I don't want to work 60 hours instead of 50. And 
So thank you, Samantha, all of our deacons, Caitlin over kids, and David helping us apply for now for forgiveness for our PPP loans. And, and um, I'm leaving Robert and, and everybody. Thank you, Bill, helping with the building. Like, could not have made it without you guys this last year. And I love my job. I'm not saying I'm any busier than, than you guys are. I mean, if you work in like construction or healthcare, I get it. 12-hour days, it's crazy. It's, it's, it's nuts. But my job in the last year, I have felt like an air traffic controller at times. Like laying in planes all day long. Like I might be on the roof cleaning off leaves because we got a leak with Bill. And then at another time, I'm like doing marriage counseling with somebody. Like, and, and I enjoy all of those aspects of ministry. I'm kind of ADD if you hadn't figured that out yet in my preaching. And so, you know, it's, I like all the different things. But man, this last year, it's been too many different things. And God has been showing me over the last six months that John 5, 19 works. That Jesus only did what the Father was doing. Jesus only did what the Father was doing. And my only hope in ministry is that God, I just wake up every morning, I'm like, God, I'm dependent upon you. I can only do what I see you doing. I don't have time to do all this stuff. I don't have time to, to meet all the needs. And uh, God, you haven't called me to do all that stuff. God, I'm only going to do what I see the Father doing. And so learning how to live in this dependent relationship with God. And here's, here's the deal. It you will never do it until you become convinced that not only does it work, but it's a better way of life than the way you used to live. And a lot of that is wrapped up in your personality, in your family of origin, and probably some of your strengths that have worked in the past that are now weaknesses for you, if you don't come to recognize that. But man, I saw that the Spirit spoke to me yesterday in a huge way. I was obedient to something that God had clearly shown me that I needed to do. And God met a need in my life that I had no idea He was going to meet. It's kind of personal, so I'm not going to go into it. But God just showed up. And I was like, yep, there you go, God. It's, and it was so easy. Like, and it's not always easy. I mean, Paul's writing this letter because he was, he was being accused of not being a real apostle because his life was hard. Like he was facing a lot of opposition and suffering. And he's going to go on in chapter 11 and say, the very fact that I'm facing suffering is evidence of the fact that I'm walking by the Spirit. And so suffering is a part of our life. But man, sometimes when Jesus shows up, he's just like, when you follow me, it's easy. Like I figured out for it really is a better way of life. It really is. And so I think the only way that we can come to understand this is as we continue to preach about it, to share stories about it. And so in your missional communities, I want to challenge you as you meet throughout the week and you do life together in missional communities, meeting homes, I want to challenge you, share stories of how God has been, been meeting needs in your life. He loves you. He loves you. You don't have to have a quiet time in the mornings. You never really will. Until you become convinced that He loves you. And He wants so much more from you than just your obedience. Did you realize that? God wants your heart. Imagine in my life, if in my married relationship, I said, Katie, we're going to redo this thing. We've been married 22 years. We're going to take some new vows. And here's how it's going to work. 
everything that you put on the honeydew list for me to do, I'm going to do it within 24 hours of whatever is reasonable. I will get it done. Whatever you put on the list. I will be obedient. I'm going to knock it all out. I'm not going to wait six months to fix a doorknob anymore. Or a towel rack that hasn't been fixed yet. I'm going to do it in 24 hours. But that's all you get. What kind of relationship would that be? It'd be a relationship where a lot of stuff gets done. Wouldn't be very meaningful, would it? Listen to this last quote I want to leave you with by Dallas Willard. Dallas says, But one who inquires seriously after God's guidance must never forget that even if one was to do all the particular things God wants and explicitly commands us to do, one might still not be the person God would have one be. An obsession... Merely with doing all God commands may be the very thing that rules out being the kind of person that He calls us to be. If that doesn't make sense to you, go back and read the parable of the prodigal son and take a look at the older brother. And you'll see the church in the south. And it'll all make sense. Here's the problem with the church in the religious south. We celebrate the older brother in the prodigal son story. He's obedient. He sticks around. He does everything he's commanded to do. All the while, his heart is far from his father. What does it look like for you this week just to walk with God and to know that God loves you? I want to challenge you. Think of your greatest need the thing that perplexes you, the thing that drives you crazy, the thing that you have become convinced that God is not going to change, could not change, will not change. What is the greatest need that's in your life? And just bring it to God and see how He meets you in the midst of that need. And whatever He calls you to do, obey Him. We're going to end today uh, in a different way. The letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. And I think there's supposed to be a lot of teachers in the church. And so um, we're going to end just by taking communion together. And uh, I want us just to kind of group up in our missional communities. If you're not part of a missional community, don't panic. You can just find a group and step in with them. If you'll look at on your aisle, there is communion. Now listen, we've got a lot of kids in the room, so this is going to get a little nuts. It's fine. It's fine. They're going to be jumping around. It's okay. We're going to take communion together. What I'd like you to do, we're going to do the steward missional community kind of back there in the back. I'll just kind of say where they're at over there. We'll do uh, the nascent missional community kind of back there in that corner. And uh, my missional community, and Richard isn't here today. He's suffering with kidney stones, so you can pray for him. Um, We'll meet up front, and then I think that Ben and Jessica are out of town, so... um, yeah, so just gather up. What I want you to do is uh, grab a cup of communion. If you're a follower of Jesus, this is for those who have followed Jesus, surrender their lives to Him. Have someone in your, crew, in your group just declare the gospel and remind your group of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus, and celebrate communion together. So we'll take about five minutes, and then we'll, we'll gather back and we'll sing a song before we end.
Hey guys, I'm going to grab your attention real quick. Um, I'm going to pray. We're going to sing one last song. Father, thank you for your spirit. You've given us um, the Holy Spirit. Um, God, I pray that we would lean into not just knowledge of your spirit, but experiencing you, Jesus, in us, near us, uh, before us, behind us, God, and that we would come to know you in such a way. I think about the psalmist who writes and he says that I have quieted my heart like a weaned child, like a child who has known nourishment from his or her mother, but now is just content to be with them. Not expectant, not demanding, just in relationship. God, would you, would you show us what that life looks like? A daily conversation with you. Help us to believe. It takes a lot of faith to believe that you speak to us. God, help us to listen. God, silence the noise of our lives and of our hearts. God, thank you for the church that you've put around us so that we can listen wisely to your spirit. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You guys stand with us and let's sing. All right. Thank you guys again for joining us today. A couple of quick announcements before we head out. Um, our COVID safe communion cups are wonderful, uh, but please grab them on your way out. And there's a trash can in the back, so be sure that they end up in the trash can after we're done with them. Uh, if you're a youth or a parent of a youth, we were off last week due to the Memorial Day holiday weekend, but we are meeting tonight. Uh, so 6.30 downstairs in the youth room if you're part of the youth group. Um, please continue to pray for, uh, for Bill and Latana Wells as Latana's mother passed away um, this past week. So continue to pray for them throughout the week as they celebrate her life and grieve her loss. Um, so thank you guys again for joining us today. We have a benediction this morning in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 23 and 24. I'm going to invite you guys to extend your hands and receive this. It says, Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Thank you guys again for joining us and you are dismissed.